please. Uh, let's let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started with the message here. Father, thank you for uh, the freedom we have to uh, come together as Christians in this country and uh, help us to be uh, doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving our own selves, and also help us to exhort each other daily uh, that we have such an uh, important uh, job there to do to, to, to each other as fellow Christians. And uh, thank you that uh, we have a brother in Christ getting baptized today. Uh, bless Brother Jared and uh, help him to uh, <laughs> not get too cold in that uh, water there and that even the cold water will just be a reinforcement of what uh, what he as a believer is going to be uh, representing and that he will uh, always stay true to you the rest of his life. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message today, this morning, is Two words, and it's this, don't disobey. Don't uh, disobey. A few weeks ago, I had mentioned uh, the stories of Hannah and Eli, and I was looking at, we were looking at 1 Samuel, I just noted how it's one of my favorite books is 1 and 2 Samuel, because it has so many interesting characters. And we, I think we stopped in chapter 2, as I recall, and I want us to look at uh, now chapter 3. Follows chapter two. So turn to First Samuel, and uh, brothers and sisters, uh, while we don't obviously we don't worship the Bible, the Bible is our is our way of find is getting to know God. Uh, you know, prayer and scripture reading are so important, but uh, the Bible is is uh, is one of the best ways to get to know God and to to uh, study these people's lives, and so that we don't make the same mistakes they did. Uh, you just notice how frequently in the Old Testament people disobey and they knew better, and they did it anyways. And so, let us take note of that as we study Brother Eli here. And uh, a sad, a sad ending to a, a, a God's man. But let's look at that and. Uh, we're First Samuel chapter three. We're going to notice here how, uh, you know, if you remember, Eli blessed Hannah. We talked about Hannah being a godly woman, and yet Eli had bad sons. Now, it's kind of see that, interestingly enough, the tables turned, so to speak, and now little Samuel is going to speak into old man Eli. And this is, this is almost baffling, that Eli, he'd already been admonished by a prophet of God in chapter 2, and now a boy, Samuel. I wonder if it was hard to receive that from Samuel. Because you'll notice that if we're looking here in chapter 3, that it wasn't very common to get a vision back then. We, we kind of uh, look at the Bible. Oh, yeah, Old Testament had so much uh, interaction between God and the people. And here it says that uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, uh, the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass, and I'll just start reading here in verse 2. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. I was, 
I have mixed emotions about, about Eli here. I, on the one hand, I really uh, am critical of him, but on the other hand, I feel sorry for him. And then I, I just thought recently, am I much better than this? Am I any better than this man here when it comes to admitting I've done wrong? Uh, I don't think so. But well, I want to get better. Uh, so he's he's uh, he's getting into his old age, and, and as you recall, that Sam, that Samuel, little, the little boy Samuel, was a gift. God's an answer prayer to Hannah. And she said, I'm going to dedicate this boy to you, God. And she kept her word. Now Samuel is serving before uh, the judge of Israel and apparently the high priest, too. This is God's man. And God doesn't speak to his man of God. He speaks to a little boy. And here the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And Samuel was laid down to sleep. That's Yahweh called Samuel. And he answered, here am I. Now, he thought it was Eli. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I wonder if it sounded similar. I'm not sure there, of course. Verse 5, And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou calledest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And Yahweh called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know Yahweh, neither was the word of Yahweh yet revealed unto him. I don't know how old he was. I just get the picture of Samuel as it was, a little, was a little guy. So it does say he didn't, he didn't yet know God. I mean, he, uh, <laughs> reasonably so, he thought it was a, a human calling him. He was, you know, maybe he was in the next room to uh, Eli. And it says, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord, or Yahweh, had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Um, this is, and this is good advice Eli gives him. Verse 10, and uh, the Lord came and stood and called as at other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. So he's doing what his uh, mentor told him to do. And uh, Yahweh said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. Therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. How would you like that? The first thing you hear, uh, you're a boy and the, the first time you hear God speak to you, it's a judgment on your uh, mentor. That'd be a tough thing to swallow, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, is, is it, as exciting as it would be to hear from God, it's a judgment on uh, Eli's house. Uh, you know, you almost feel sorry for Samuel. He has to, now he's got to do this, uh, this very difficult thing of telling his, uh, his uh, mentor, father figure, if you will, that there's bad news coming. Now, Eli already, would have already known about this, but maybe Samuel didn't know. All right, and now we're thinking, okay, Josh, what does it have to do with disobedience? Well, I want, us to, I want us to just consider how much 
Eli could have still done something about it. Uh, and instead he chose seemingly to do nothing. <laughs> and Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of, his, of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. That's understandable, isn't it? That, that, I, it would be a hard thing to do. Verse 16 in chapter 3. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here am I. Yeah, he knows what's going to, I think he knows what's coming. Eli asked him, what is the thing that Yahweh has sent unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee. And more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. Now that's a positive thing. Eli wanted to hear it all. I, I wonder if he knew that something <laughs> was related to, to Eli. And uh, now Samuel told him every wit and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. <laughs> that, that's an, I don't know about you, that's an ambiguous uh, response from, from uh, Eli, who, uh, who should have known God good enough, I would argue, that he, knew, he could have said, You know what? It hasn't happened yet. I haven't been judged yet. There, there's still hope to repent. And it starts with my boys who I'm prejudiced for. If it was somebody else's sons, I, I would have uh, probably called them to task. But not they're my sons. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's ambiguous in that he, you know, he's accepting what God told Samuel, but yet, what does Eli do about it? He doesn't do, he doesn't do anything that we can read of. Uh, it just says in verse 19, And Samuel grew, and the, Yahweh was with him. And did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And, and uh, Yahweh appeared again in Shiloh, for Yahweh revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of Yahweh. Let's just pause there and um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's think about this quotation from years, years later, as we, we'll, we'll read about it. Now, but uh, it was an older now. It was an older Samuel this time, and he tells the tells the uh, then king Saul, "Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry." To a man who would not admit he was wrong, he would not. He made excuses for himself, and I wonder if uh, Samuel thought of Eli too, as. Um, as we'll see here, brothers and sisters, not just in Samuel, but if you, if you study the Old Testament, how many times people knew better and they went ahead and disobeyed anyways. Uh, last Wednesday we had a discipleship class. <laughs> I, was, I was struck by a, a, a statement there in a booklet there for the, uh, the, uh, the young people's uh, booklet there we were studying. And, and it said, uh, Eve, Eve, talking about the, the uh, fall of Adam and Eve, and it says this, Eve thought she would be happy if she disobeyed. Now, of course, she wasn't happy, but isn't, isn't that uh, revealing about how we are? We're not much different than Adam and Eve, not much different here than Eli. We think we'll be happy if we disobey. Maybe we justify it by uh, thinking that we're smarter than the average person. <laughs> Maybe we justify it because we're, well, we're just special, and uh, we're going to do it anyways. And brothers and sisters, that's just utter, utterly foolish. I, I don't know how uh, Eli could have rationalized not doing anything. He, he had twice warned, he'd been warned that your sons are wicked and you better do something about it. You, you're going to be judged, Eli. And he 
didn't. I wonder if he thought he was special because he was God's man. I wonder if he thought that uh, mere time justifies stubbornness. And that's why I use the word, uh, I use that quotation from Samuel because if you're disobedient and you refuse to obey and you won't turn the thing around, you're just being stubborn. And I think Samuel saw that in King Saul. Saul is, is just kind of like, he's like the epitome of a stubborn man. He wouldn't change. But not only do you see it in Saul and Eli, you actually even see it, I would argue you even see it in King David. And the way he went about uh, with Bathsheba, he, I mentioned this before, but the, you know, the king, the, all, really a lot of the kings of Israel, their, their, their sheer stubbornness is really is, it's sobering. But you and I can do the same thing, can't we? Uh, we can um, struggle to admit we've done something wrong and, and not, uh, we know better, but yet we're going to disobey anyways. And you can, uh, I just want to challenge you as we look at this story of Eli is that uh, we could do the same thing. Yeah, I know, but if I knew I had wicked sons, I, I would do something about it. Okay, but what, what about something else in your life that you know, you, sh- you, sh- you know better, but you won't do it? Because, you, and uh, I think it was uh, one of us, uh, when we did witnessing a few weeks ago, made a comment about how some of the old men weren't taking the tracks. Ah, you know, get... It's actually, it, it, it's, it's uh, almost uh, not surprising that old people are set in their ways. <laughs> After all, they're smarter. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm, gonna, I'm, uh, I'm this way and I'm going to die this way? Uh, my grandmother said that. Uh, I lived a Catholic and I'm going to die a Catholic. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be strong in your beliefs. I think, though, the old people have the mistaken notion that time makes it all right. After all, I can't be, you know, I can't be wrong. In other words, uh, I'm 70 years old and you're telling me I need to repent and follow Jesus? <laughs> you know, kind of funny. Well, does time erase <laughs> disobedience? No. And here's Eli's situation. I mean, he must have had years to do something about his sons. Maybe he thought stubbornness, you know, disobedience plus time <laughs> equals somehow it's okay. <laughs> well, let that be a challenge to us, that mere time doesn't erase your, your duty to, to obey God. So that's why I say, don't disobey. And uh, I was just thinking to myself, well, why don't we, uh, if we know it's right to obey, why, why do we sin? Um, James talks about every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust, and he's enticed. And uh, <laughs> The, the, here, here's how I concluded. We're in a battle. Satan's got his... Uh, I'm digressing here a little bit, but, but, but think about this. The, why it's hard to do what's right is because lust is difficult to overcome. Isn't it? When, when you sin, you're acting out of lust, greed, selfishness, pride. These are... Uh, it's, kind of, it's, it's kind of our, uh, our default position. But when you uh, want to fall... We have, we have a weapon of, of truth on our side, but Satan's got a weapon too. Did you know that? Satan's got a weapon of lust. And greed, he, he has lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we know God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. All that to say this, brothers and sisters, there, there is self-deception here. And it could be anything. It can be, uh, you know, the brother talked about, uh, Brother Frank talked about the importance of uh, speaking, uh, speaking kindness and not being jesting. It can be any sin. It, it, the Satan's, Satan's weapon is uh, selfishness. You know, he, he can appeal to our baser nature. And God is making an appeal to, it, it's always, you know, always, you know, obey me and things will go well. So the value of reading these uh, stories of people who disobey is that we don't want to copy their mistakes, right? We don't want to, let's not be like Eli. And um, 
Chapter 4, uh, I'm going I'm to give us a summary here. It's sad. The, the Philistines go to war uh, against Israel. And you know what happens? Uh, two sons die. Hophni and Phinehas die. Eli hears about it and he tips over. Poor man. He breaks his neck. He, he heard the news. And not only that, his, uh, his daughter-in-law uh, gives birth, but she, she, uh, she dies in the process. By the way, if you were uh, making up, if you were a, uh, like what some people say, oh, the Bible's made up stories of uh, Jewish shepherds. If you were making up a story, why would you make the Philistines in this situation more insightful than the, the Israelites? The Israelites, uh, led by Eli, are, it's almost like they are so obstinate, they, they, they lose this battle, and the Philistines uh, fight and win. And the Philistines bring their, um, We're, we're going to speed along here in chapter 5, okay? So we're, we're, we did ever get, we, we're pretty familiar with the story, but the Philistines took the, the, Philistine took the ark of God and brought it, forth, brought it from Ebenezer into Ashdod. And when they took it, their god, Dagon, fall flat, and he, he falls in front of the ark of uh, God. Now, the ark did not keep the Israelites from losing the battle. The, the Israelites mistakenly thought, if we just have the ark, we're going we're to win. We're going to beat these Philistines. It didn't happen. Uh, god kept his word. He judged the house of Eli. And the Israelites lost a very devastating battle. So we're looking at, um, and keep in mind here too, I, th- I, wanna, I think I'm going to conclude on this thought. This, this, is a, this is an interesting story here. As the, the, the Philistines are, are smart enough to realize that their God, that happens again, uh, verse 4. When they arose early in the moral morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of Yahweh. And the head of Dagon had, and both the palms of his hands were cut off. Upon the threshold, only the stump of Dagon was left to him. And therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon ashed on to this day. And uh, God strikes these Philistines with emeralds. Sounds like a, a painful experience of the, some sort of disease here. And uh, when the men say it, the men of Ashdod, they uh, are smart enough to realize, let's get rid of this ark. And they send it to a different Philistine city. And now it's in Ekron. Go down to verse 10. And it came to pass as, it, as the ark of God came to Ekron that the Ekronites, cry, Ekronites cried out saying, they have brought the, about the ark of the God of Israel to us to slay us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go again to his own place that it slay us not and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very sore or very heavy there. And the men that died not were smitten with the emeralds, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. And, then, and this happened uh, now, the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months, says in chapter 6. So now, uh, the Philistines have a problem. They're, they're, uh, their victory is turning into a, a very uh, troublesome thing to their land. And what do the Philistines do? They call for their holy men and ask for advice. And I like this advice. This, this is fascinating that, that Eli didn't give, you know, the, the um, probably I could say this, the wisest advice comes not from Eli, but from the Philistines themselves. So I'm thinking if, if you were making up these stories, why would you make the Philistines have the insight? Wouldn't you make your, your, holy, your, your man have the, the wise? No, uh, I think it's just reporting it as it was. And the Philistine <laughs> priests say something we should heed as well, too. When you disobeyed God or when you're contemplating obeying or disobeying, um, what are the, let's take heed to this, verse 6. 
A wise thing. Wherefore then do you harden your hearts? This is the Philistine priest saying this to their, to their Philistine countrymen. As the Egyptian and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he had wrought wonderfully among them, and did they not let the people go, and they departed? Now therefore make a new cart, and take two milch kine on which there hath come no yoke, and tie the kind to the cart, and bring their calves home from them. And take the ark of the Lord, and lay it upon the cart, and put the jewels of gold which ye returned him for a trespass offering in a coffer by the side thereof, and send it away that it may go. And see, if it goeth up by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh, then he hath done us this great evil. But if not, then we will know that it is not his hand that smote us. It was a chance that happened to us. So it's a reasonable thing. We're going to see if this is really a miracle from God or it's just an accident. And you know the story there. The milk cows were uh, harnessed up there, and instead of lowing and going back towards their calves, they go straight to Israel. So that's a miracle. And they realized uh, they also were told to do a, a sacrifice to this God, to the God of Israel. Hey, that was smart. These men, these men were smart. But the story doesn't end there, does it? Uh, what happens next is something that is—it's a sad thing. The uh, it, the first town that in Israel that the cart comes to is Beth Shemesh. And these men do something. These men do something very, very, very foolish. They touch. They go into the. I, I guess I'm just guessing it out of curiosity. They knew better. They were told in the law that only the Kohathites were to uh, carry the ark. You weren't supposed to touch it. Otherwise, you're going to die. I wonder, I wonder if they really took it. <laughs> Obviously, they didn't take it seriously. But what I'm, what I'm struck about here is that, um, as my mom used to say when I was a kid, if everybody jumped off, if a whole crowd went over the cliff, would you jump off with them? And we said, well, no, of course not. Uh, that was my mom's way of saying, don't follow the crowd. I, I wonder if these were Israelites. You know, it says a, a, humong- it's a, a huge number of them were killed. Were they all, just, were they all killed at once, or were, was it a, like, filing in there, and later they were stru- I, struck down? I don't know. But it says here, um, verse 19, And he smote the men of Beth Shemesh, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote the people of the people, 50,000 and threescore and ten men. And the people lamented, because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy God? To whom shall he go up from us? They sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath Jerem, saying, The Philistine that brought again the ark of Yahweh, come ye down and fetch it up to you. And we'll stop there. Um, well, let's take note of that. Let's not be like those uh, Israelites who disobeyed. Let's not be uh, like uh, Eli who, who uh, against against the better judgment, let uh, let his sons die in a, in a terrible battle there, and he himself died, and flat, you know, he fell backwards and broke his neck. A, uh, I'm thinking of a story, one of my uh, customers in Jefferson City, her name is Sherry, she told me uh, during the flood of 93, and I always just think about this, uh, if you will, uh, think about the story, how it relates to people know better, they do something, they do something dumb anyways. By the way, disobedience is really foolish, is dumb, uh, let's take note of these scenarios when we read the Bible. Not to be uh, like better than thou attitude, but say, you know, I could, I could fall in that same trap. She told me the story in 1993. She was driving on a road and uh, the floodwaters had gotten too high, in her mind. And she, she was coming. 
don't know where it was Jeff City, and it was, you know, the back of the, that city was uh, backed up with water, but she just stopped there, and she didn't go any further. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. The water's too high, and if there's a, a car behind her. He gets out and says, hey, do you mind if I can just drive around you? I can, I can get over that. He says, oh, that's the water. That water's level's too high. Don't... If you want to go for it, he's yeah. <laughs> he tries it and he gets in there and it probably looks like there wasn't enough to sweep it away, but it started to fill up and it was pushing the car down. And before long, he was he was in a bad situation. The water was rushing him. It was, it was uh, worse than he thought it was. And she she just says, I remember that he was uh, having to get on top of his car and the the uh, they did rescue him. They, they got somebody in there, but. What struck out of my mind is like, doesn't he know better? I mean, uh, but maybe you've done that. Maybe you tried that. And you, you know, he, was, he might have said, he would have said, what, an hour to risk getting swept away in a vehicle. Why would you do that? Uh, they say, you're like, well, all you need is just a few inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. Well, that's kind of how I see sin is that we know better, but yet we think we can, we think we can do it anyways. So let's, let's take note of those things uh, as, as you go through this week. Hey, Satan's out. He, we're in a battle, brothers and sisters. Uh, Satan's got a powerful weapon of appealing to our lustful nature. Hey, you can do it anyways, and you can you have a choice though, to rationalize it. Say, so, yeah, I am I am a special exception. I can I can do. Uh, I didn't bring my phone with me, but you know it's. I know it'd be wrong if somebody else looked at pornography on my phone on their phone, but I'm a special case. Or I know it's wrong when other people get angry and lose a temper, but I'm I'm a special exception. Then if if you do that, I'd be be warned, you're not much better than Eli in the story. And so let's, let's not do that. Let's, uh, let's, let's stick with God's word, which is a, a huge weapon. And, and we will uh, have victory over Satan. Because God wants us to have uh, life and to be obedient. Um, disobedience is, is really, really bad. Don't disobey. That's all I have. Let's uh, have a word of prayer. And I'll and leave it to Marcus here in closing. Father, uh, thank you for these stories in the Bible. May, may, if nothing else, may we uh, take a greater interest in reading your word to learn uh, valuable lessons about just the basics of obedience. And that how Eli uh, foolishly disobeyed, and even later in the story, too, the Israelites who knew better uh, looked in the ark and were struck down. And that uh, you do mean business, but you, you want us to obey and help us to do that. And thank you for. Uh, for your word and that you speak to us and you also speak to us personally too and, and thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ and pray this all in Jesus name, amen.